you hear us through your AirPods or see us on your laptop, how about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking Queer Money on the road this summer and fall. Visit QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood. Uh, David? Yes? Did Karen invent fire? Did Karen invent fire? Karen who? You know, Karen, the one who's going to call the manager on you or report you to the HOA board. <laughs> okay, I don't know, but maybe. Why? Well, because some fire folks are all about the rules, right? You can't retire until you've saved 20 times your annual expenses. And then some say you have to live and die by the 4% rule. And then if you're working in any way, shape, or form, some of the scolds will tell you you're not truly fired. <laughs> well, there are scolds everywhere, right? We can ignore them. There are many things that fire is and many things that fire is not. And that's what we're discussing on this episode of Queer Money, episode 330, what fire is and what fire is not. All right, then let's get on with the show. You're listening to the Queer Money Podcast, personal finance with a rainbow twist. Queer Money is dedicated to financial independence, financial well-being, investing knowledge, and the intersection of all things money as an LGBTQ person. Queer Money is made possible by Capital One. Capital One believes that financial well-being includes your mental, physical, and financial health. Check out CapitalOne.com today. All right, folks. Really, we know that Karen didn't invent fire, but actually, Vicky and Joe did. Actually, fire, the whole concept of fire comes from the book, Your Money or Your Life by Vicki Robin and Joe Dominguez from 1992. A while and back. <laughs> so it's been, it's been around this concept of financial independence, retire early has been around for 30 years. Yeah, quite some time <laughs> since I graduated high school. <laughs> Had I known then right. what I know now. Well, and you know, I think that's the thing is that that's probably why it's growing in popularity is because people started to implement it in the late 90s, early 2000s. And now you're seeing people produce the results, right? People who are retiring at 30, 35, 40 are people who probably read that book or or the concepts of that back in the 90s and and early 2000s. And now everybody seems to be chasing after it, right? Yeah. There's this growing popularity. Well, I think there's also a general distaste in working for corporate America today. I think some people don't see a huge disconnect between the skyrocketing inflation, what they're getting paid, what their salary increases were over the last year or so, and then what how expensive everything is at the, from the grocery store to the gas station. So I think people are, are saying, how come these companies are making all these profits? Executives are making bigger raises than ever. But here I am, I got a, I got a measly 2 or 3% raise, and they want me to be happy for that. I'm not even keeping up with the rate of inflation. So maybe yeah. there's a better way. And I think the FIRE movement is sort of presenting, hey, folks, here's this alternative over here. Right. Yeah. But I think alluding to what the intro was all about, I think there are these purists out there who have a very militant definition of what fire is. Fire and to police, be, fire police, fire, fire police, police. Right. And to be fair, you know, when Robin and Dominguez wrote their book, there were some sort of concepts that they presented that were somewhat, I think, presented in a unique way to people. The idea is that people should evaluate every single expense and based on the number of working hours it takes to pay for that expense. I don't think that many folks sort of equated their purchases to how many hours they have to work to obtain those purchases, whether it's from cars to shoes to travel to you know putting the kids through an Ivy League school or, or whatever. When you quantify in how many, what you're earning per hour, what you're actually bringing home per hour, not what you're, what you're 
quoted salary is, but where you're actually bringing home per hour after all the deductions and expenses, how many hours you have to work then to pay for some of these things. I think that was sort of a novel twist to people. And they're thinking to themselves, God, do I really want to have to work four hours just to buy a fancy pair of jeans? Right. <laughs> you know? Right. So with that, traditionalists are sort of devoted to this extreme saving and investing to let them retire far earlier than what traditional budgets or retirement plans permit. And that emphasis on the word extreme, and we're going to t- sort of uh, talk about why that's no, no longer necessarily the case anymore, or n- not necessarily necessary anymore. Right. Investopedia defines fire, let's just kind of go the sort of a somewhat textbook definition of fire, as a financial movement defined by frugality and extreme saving and investing. And we would argue that that's true to a certain degree, and there are, there are many people who sort of live by that philosophy, they're sort of the more lean fire. But it's not necessarily true if you're sort of fat fire or as we've expanded on episode 285 of the Queer Money podcast, there are now all sorts of different definitions of fire. You've got your coast fire, which we're sort of dabbling into, as well as entrepreneur fire, which we're also dabbling into, investor fire, which we're also dabbling into, right? (laughs) Right. And so we're sort of this like hybrid of all these things. And so if, if we're this way, that means then you can sort of piecemeal together the fire definition that works best for you and your family. And so for David and me, we think FIRE is really, now anyway, or at least to us, is the freedom and the autonomy to mostly live and do what we want, when we want, where we want. Right. I, I think that to, the, to me, and I think to a lot of folks, financial independence is, it's really financial independence and then freedom, right? What does that freedom, that financial independence or working towards or getting close to financial independence, what freedom does that give you? For some people, that freedom is not having to ever work again, never having to earn a paycheck. For some people, that freedom is earning a paycheck that's substantially lower than what they were earning before, but in a job that allows them to do exactly what they want to do or to have some sort of fulfillment in life that they maybe didn't have in their previous career. And for some people, it's just the ability then to give back or use their money in a different way. But really, when it really comes down to it, FIRE is about designing your life, designing the life that you want rather than living the expected cookie cutter or societal norm life that so many people have lived for decades or centuries that we've kind of always followed what everybody else told us to do or what society said we should be doing at this point in our life or by this age or when you have this amount of money these are all the things you're supposed to do well we all know that what you're supposed to have done has made a lot of people unhappy. Yeah. I think there's an added challenge to coming up with a litmus test for FIRE in that retirement now, the definition or what retirement looks like for a lot of people, even people who wait until they're 65 years old or so to retire, that's even changing. No longer is it that you you retire and you sit on the front porch drinking lemonade for five years and then you die. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. People now are like, even when they do retire at 65, if if they wait that long to retire, they want to travel, they want to see the world, they want to join golf leagues, they want to, you know, do all sorts of different things they want to even maybe even take on a, a different part-time job that's more entertaining or was more fulfilling than what their traditional job was, or they want to get into philanthropy in some way, shape, or form. And so I think when you when you couple that changing definition of a traditional retirement with coming up with a litmus test or a standard definition for fire, you're gonna you're gonna kind of butt heads there. So then what is 
fire and what is not fire. That's yeah. what we're going to discuss today. Right. I think what probably the most important thing is the kind of true definition of retirement was flipped on its head, right? Mm -hmm. You're not subscribing to this idea that you have to live your life and work until you're 65, 67, whatever retirement age is when you get to retirement, you know, for some people it's 62, some people it's 60, 72, it's somewhere in between. It's not that, but at the same time, it's also not chasing these unrealistic expectations of what it means to be happy or to get everyone else's approval. You can cast both of those away, right? I no longer need to be on the hedonic treadmill of buy this, have this experience, do these things in order to be happy. It's more about me. Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of people that's, especially with the pandemic, people are starting to reevaluate their lives and they're thinking to themselves, is really buying the new iPhone every year providing me that much satisfaction? Do I really want to have to spend, you know, for a while there, you had to pay for your own iPhone because the phone companies weren't subsidizing any of it, right? So what was it, like $1,000? Also started coming back. <laughs> I'm always confused. But I think once once upon a time, we had to pay $1,000 for our phone. So I mean, for a lot of people, how many hours worth of work is that for them to pay for a new iPhone and then to do that every year? Is that phone really giving me that much pleasure? Or is the new phone changing altogether differently that's going to make it worth me investing that kind of time just so I can have that phone? offset by the idea that, well, maybe if I don't buy the new iPhone every every couple of years, I keep it for three or four or five years, then I have that much extra money that I can put into the stock market or to try to retire early. But I think, yeah, I think a lot of people are saying, but on the flip side, do I really have to wait until I'm 65 till I can achieve Enjoy. freedom right. and then live the life that I want? I don't, right. I think people are like, well, that's kind of a bullshit proposal. <laughs> right. Well, and it, because there's, there's so many people who either don't get to 65 or people who get to retirement age and then don't live for very long afterwards, right? right. Because they have stressed themselves out or lived an unhealthy physically, mentally, and emotional lifestyle in order to maintain a job and maintain a lifestyle that then all of a sudden their body gives out, yeah. their mind gives out. Right. Capital One strives to inspire a better financial path for everyone, including the LGBTQ community, through access to credit, tools to manage debt, and product features. Digital products such as CreditWise and Eno are designed to take the stress out of money by helping you manage credit, a key source of potential stress, and stay on top of spending without worrying all the time. Sign up for CreditWise for free today. Okay, so number two, FIRE is being clear on what your goals are and the why behind your goals. It's not necessarily going with the flow or living without direction. And I think this sort of goes back to what, what we talked about in our book, Four Principles of a Debt-Free Life. The first principle there is to live money conscious, is to be conscious of what you want. We attribute are getting into $51,000 in credit card debt in large part because we didn't know exactly what we wanted in life. And we were just kind of little bunnies hopping along <laughs> doing what everybody else was doing and realizing that wasn't actually making us, us happy, which resulted in that credit card debt. So I think what was super valuable for us in getting out of debt and then staying out of debt and then flipping the script and going from $51,000 in credit card debt to over a million dollars now is figuring out what it is that we want and why do we want that? You know, there's this philosophy on the flip side for a lot of people are just like, you know what, I'll go with the flow. Things always work out in my favor. That's perfect. Happy-go-lucky. And that's great to a certain extent, but you need to have a little, if you want to fire, 
you need to have a little bit more strategy behind it, right? You don't necessarily need to be be militant about the life that you live and a militant about your budget and militant about not buying things that aren't absolutely necessary, but kind of just going with the flow isn't necessarily amenable to retiring early in any way, shape or form. Well, I think in, unless you build some really good guardrails, and I think that's the that's the third point here is if you have some fiscal discipline, you have some way of putting up those guardrails. Obviously, the more money you make, the wider those guardrails can be. But if you have really wide guardrails because you have a really large income, then you can go with the flow a lot more. So for example, somebody who's making $350,000 a year has a lot more leeway in the decisions that they make and the things that they can do when it comes to enjoying their life while trying to work towards financial independence versus somebody who's making $50,000. The guardrails are going to be much closer. But either way, really what it comes down to is you have to, to a certain degree, be able to spend wisely on the things that matter most to you so that you're not then spending your whole paycheck or living beyond your means, spending on credit cards to try to keep up with some lifestyle, right? Or, or, or to chase some level of happiness. And it's when you, we've talked about this so many times before, when you focus on spending money on what matters to you, you're more fulfilled and don't have to spend money on the things that don't matter to you. You mm -hmm. actually start to realize that what things don't actually bring you a, a level of happiness. You're just doing it because this is what your friends want you to do, or you're doing it because of what's expected to do. You Force to become do, a habit. Right. You you start to realize that those don't, those things really don't matter. And so your your fiscal discipline becomes a habit in your life, and that allows you to, to continue to grow that spread of what you're making versus what you're spending. Right. I'll argue, though, that while having the six-figure-plus income can allow your guardrails to be farther apart, I think the temptation of lifestyle creep is that much easier. So I think there's yes. sort of an emotional tug there that's a little bit harder than if you're earning $50,000 a year. You, you, your, your guardrails are, are a little bit closer together, and you don't have that sort of flexibility to say, oh, I can just forget about my budget this weekend or this week or this month because I've got that, that added cushion. Right. So there's benefit in having less flexibility in some way because there's less of an emotional tug. Yeah. And it kind of reminds me what we're talking about right now kind of reminds me of that whole idea when we've mentioned it before. My income when I first started working over nine years doubled, but my credit card debt grew by 700%, right? Mm -hmm. So it isn't just the making more doesn't automatically guarantee that you're going to be spending with fiscal discipline and be wise about your spending and be able to reach fire. And I think especially for the queer community, that is a hard thing for people to accept. Right. That more income leads to more fiscal discipline or that you're guaranteed then to reach your goal or have financial security. It's not always the same. Right. And I understand the challenges with that. Number four is fires investing broadly and vigorously in things like the stock market, real estate, small businesses of your own, or as we've talked about more recently, being an angel investor. If you're interested in angel investing and, diverse, and diversifying your investments in that way, we suggest listening to Queer Money episode 316 when we talked to Arlen Hamilton of Backstage Capital or episode 329 when we talked with WeFunder and Propeller. But it's also investing possibly in hard assets such as art and antiques, antique cars, whatnot. Fire is not 
only investing 1% of your annual income in your 401k, letting spending once and living for today sabotage your investing goals. I think for a lot of people, especially when they get their first job that has benefits such as 401k, they're afraid to be aggressive with how much they contribute to their 401k. So they go with that 1% initially because they, they want to have more money to cover their expenses or have bigger paycheck to take home every pay period. But that can hurt you. And that sort of, I don't want to say aggressive because there's a lot of connotation with aggressive investing, um, but the <laughs> eager investing, right. the lack of eager investing can prevent you from being able to fire early and or even retire on time. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you, you, you know, the, I, I'm glad you used the word vigorously because vigorously is often elicits a level of excitement, right? You're excited when you're doing something vigorously. When you're vigorously exercising, you actually, you have a really good attitude about exercising. You're not irritated or upset or depressed as to why you're, you're exercising. Well, the same thing with your investing, especially it, when you're getting started, it can sometimes not feel like it's fun and exciting because you're only investing with really small amounts, right? And that's, I think, why a lot of folks say, wait, really wait until you get to that $100,000 level, right? Once you hit that $100,000 level, then all of a sudden, things start to grow really rapidly. That's when you really start to see the effects or feel the effects of compound interest kick in. And that was the case for us, right? We were fortunate enough that after we paid off our credit card debt, we kept on using the money that we had been spending on paying off our debt to start investing. And we reached that $100,000 mark relatively quickly within a couple of years. And that was what really then got us excited. We started to watch and have fun with how quickly our net worth in our retirement accounts was growing. Yeah, absolutely. Right, point number five here is that, and I mentioned this before, fire is whatever you want it to be. It's your freedom, right? It's your, there isn't a one size fits all. It's a one to one relationship. When you hear folks talk about fire, when you hear us talk about fire, when you read books or you see information out there, remember that what folks are doing is they're talking about it from their perspective. This is what worked for me, right? We're all different. And that's why on episode 285, we we shared seven different types of fire. And so go back and listen. If you haven't, go back and listen to that episode to see what one may work for you or what combination, as John mentioned earlier, we're kind of standing in the middle of three of them, right? We've got a kind of a little uh, triangle or trinity of, uh, of fire <laughs> methodologies that we're, we are living in or working on and find what works for you. Again, it's defining what allows you to have the freedom that you want. We met, you know, we did an episode or several episodes about us living in Spain for three months. All of that was because we decided what fire would look like for us, what work life would look like and what, where we wanted to live. And that's, that was the freedom that we chose for ourselves. Yeah. You can choose whatever you want. And I think that goes back to the value of, of being money conscious. It's, you know what you want, and then you design your life so that you can achieve what you want. This whole episode kind of goes back to that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, number six is fires about enjoying life today because we don't know if we're going to have tomorrow. It's not about ruining relationships or living miserably today <laughs> for the hope that we'll be freer or happier tomorrow. We know of several people who are 
in pursuit of fire, but they're living a miserly, miserable existence. And then after a couple of years of telling their friends, no, they can't do this, that, or the other thing, they get upset because they stopped getting the invitation. Well, if you decline enough RSVPs, eventually you're not going to get requested to come to the party. Tomorrow isn't guaranteed, right? I know it sounds like a cliche, but tomorrow isn't guaranteed to any of us. So you, you, you must live today, but spend as if you're going to live forever, right? So what does your dad used to say? <laughs> yeah. Live like you'll die tomorrow, plan like you're going to live forever. Yeah. And that has both an emotional side to it and a financial side to it, right? Live for today with your money, but also plan for tomorrow. You can do both. Yeah. And but, I love a Seneca quote. It goes, the fool with all of his faults has this also. He is always getting ready to live. Don't yeah. get ready to live when you reach a fire number, when you've reached 40 plus or whatever. Even if you wait until 65 to retire, live today. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's the, you know, the kind of the the backlash that a lot of people have on social media about the latte factor, right? And you have the latte. Well, you know, David Bach didn't say don't ever have a latte and you'll become a millionaire. He was trying to make a point using an example. And I think that's important for all of us to remember. Have the latte, have the piece of cake. You know, I think it was Anne Frank said, eat the cake first, right? And I don't think it was Anne Frank. Maybe it was. Anyway. I think it was Eleanor Roosevelt. Maybe it was. Okay. <laughs> Someone call us on that on social media. Tell us where who who said that. But I think that the point here is that we have to enjoy what we're doing in order to continue to do what we're doing, mm-hmm. right? right. You, you find the, as I mentioned earlier, you find the guardrails and then you have a lot of fun within those guardrails. We did that while we were paying off her debt. We found lots of ways to have fun within the guardrails of knowing we were going to be spending X or sending X amount of money to pay off our credit cards every month. And was it easy? No. Was it worth it? Absolutely. You know, a little yeah. less brown thrown in there. It, life is not easy for anyone. We think that it's easy for everyone else, but it's not. It's our own perception that makes us feel like life is hard for me versus everyone else. But find what makes it easy for you or fun for you or enjoyable for you, and then put in the the things in place that allow you to reach the financial goals that you want to reach. Yeah. And we dove deeper into the latte factor with David Bach on the Grim Money podcast. I forget what episode number, but the production team will put that in our show notes if you want to hear more about what the latte factor is and what the latte factor is not. <laughs> to us, fire is all about this, the principle that we, the first principle we talked about in our book, and that is our book, Four Principles of a Debt-Free Life. And that is to be money conscious. You know, we know you want to design a life according to the things that we value. We want the things that are important to us. And we discussed that on episode 280 of the podcast. Yeah. So fire also does is big tent. You know, you don't have to pass any sort of litmus test to qualify on your journey to fire. It can actually be interesting and fun if you make it so. Yeah. So I'm going to throw this in there. We mentioned, I jokingly said this to John when we were preparing for this podcast, this idea of it being a big tent movement. And we we think about the circus, right? The circus is not a one ring show. There's lots of things in there. Some of us go because we like seeing the shirtless men in tights. Some of us go because we like seeing the animals. Some of us go because we like seeing the lady acrobats, right? I mean, we all have different versions of what we like seeing. We all have different versions of our lives. I've never noticed that there are shirtless men in tights at the circus because I'm always (laughs) paying attention to my husband. So stay tuned for the Queer Money Takeaway from this episode. Make sure to check out more ways that Capital One can help you achieve financial well-being at CapitalOne.com. 
That's CapitalOne.com. Thank you for listening to their episode. Here is your career money takeaway. Know that the FIRE movement is as much for you as anyone else, regardless of your race, creed, background, sexual orientation, gender identity, whatever variable you can come up with. And you can design a version of FIRE that's ideal for you and your loved ones. Next, join us this Thursday when we start a special Queer Money series of short episodes to highlight the findings and next steps from our Motley Fool Debt-Free Guys LGBTQ Plus Money Study. Then join us next Tuesday, regular scheduled show, when we continue our year-long series with Capital One about financial well-being. It's all about how to stop spending on things that you don't really need, a great follow-up to today's episode, and something that honestly a lot of folks tell us about. Absolutely. Thank you and have a great week. From Los Angeles, California to Winooski, Vermont, we're taking queer money on the road. Join us as we gamify personal finance with Queer Money Bingo or catch our signature Live Fabulously, Not Fabulously Broke Talk and so much more in between. Check out QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player regularly for date and location updates.